Well, good morning again. Glad you can join us. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be in verses specifically 12 through 26. I know it's good through all the way through 31, but I'm just going to concentrate on 12 through 26 um, this morning. Well, it was my freshman year of high school and my dad held up the x-ray and said, you see that dark line on your foot? That means you have a fracture in your metatarsal. Well, I had no idea what a metatarsal was. All I knew that whatever it was in my foot, it was causing serious pain and it was cutting my track season short. How And I was wondering, looking at that x-ray, how could one small bone consume so much of my thoughts? This hairline fracture. You know, that's true for maybe some of you. Maybe in one point in time, maybe now you've had tooth pain and it's caused you so much pain, it consumes almost all of your thoughts, especially when you're trying to eat. Maybe it's a muscle in your back that's hurting you so much that it makes sleep next to impossible. Well, out of frustration, I said to this orthopedic surgeon, my dad, Dad, can we just get rid of my metatarsal? And my dad kind of laughed and said, I think that would make it pretty hard for you to run. Well, that's so true of this passage today that we see that the body is interconnected. Then one thing hurts, it hurts all of us. If one thing was removed, it would hurt the whole body. And today this passage is going to communicate to us this. The church is interconnected, much like the different members of your body are interconnected. And every person in the church has a function. That is important for the whole. And if those functions are neglected, ignored, or some overemphasized, it can cause problems for the church as a whole. Well, let's look at scripture, shall we? See what it says. And uh, then we will, uh, again, go back to these principles of the church as interconnected as the body. Pay attention here to God's word. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great mo- greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, prepare us for your word. I pray that it would renew us and help us in this time and make us see, even that we are a part, that we are one body. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, in this time, many of us wonder what good things can come out of this mess. Well, I have good news for you that comes in history and comes in God's word in this church in Corinth. That good things can come out of messes. And this church is a mess. But God is using Paul and his apostles and other leaders to help shape and form this church to maybe see the gospel more fully. And it does through time. And we can see this church has got some problems. Last week we saw that people are getting drunk at communion. They're leaving people out of the Lord's Supper. This is a church that is in trouble. And for the next few weeks, we are going to look at the dynamics of this corporate church body. The problems in their relations and worship, in leadership, and just how they relate to one another. We're going to see just these major divisions, something that's been a continual theme throughout Corinthians, and also the solutions to the divisions. See, this is what's very intriguing about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was divided over things they should have been united about. Like resurrection, view on sexual ethics, the Lord's Supper, being against idolatry. They were divided over these issues that they should have been united about. And what's even crazier is that they pushed uniformity about things they should have been diverse about. About the type of gifts that people had. Some of them were saying, you have to have these types of gifts, these ecstatic gifts, or these very upfront gifts. Everyone should have that. And if you have those, you are more spiritual. See, again, they were divided over what they should have been theologically united about, this doctrine. And they were pushing uniformity over things that that they were divided, they should not be divided about. Specifically, spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about here. See, Paul, very in the beginning here in verses 12 through 13, is saying that we are united under Christ. This is the uniformity. That we are all saved under him. This allows us, knowing that we all are sinners, that allows us to have diversity from wherever we came from, all these different groups, this motley crew of the church, Jews and Greeks and slaves and free, have all come together under one spirit. They've all received the Holy Spirit, no matter these types of backgrounds. 
This is what the beauty is of the church in Corinth. That these different groups probably never ever displayed in these Roman cities was coming together to worship together. But still, it's shaky. Paul is trying to get them to grow together, to understand the unity of the gospel. I think many people look at this passage in Corinth and an argument I've heard many times is that this is the balance between unity and diversity. Well, I want to argue this morning that really true, meaningful, and constructive diversity is only found in the uniformity under Christ. It's not just a balancing unity in diversity. It's balancing everything under Christ that allows us to have true, meaningful, and constructive diversity. So let's look together, shall we? In this illustration of the body that Paul uses. Just as the body has different members, like I explained to the kids, so the church has different members. A word that we use many times in our church, the idea of members. And then through this illustration, he brings out, um, brings out things that he might have heard that was going on in Corinth through personifying these different body parts. One thing that Paul might have heard in the church was this. Well, I can't teach like that person does, or I don't have the oratory gifts like this person does, or I don't have these charismatic gifts that are flamboyant like this person does. What good am I here? He says that in his illustration. Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, I love it. Maybe you were so familiar to this passage that we lose the humor of it. Here is an ear talking, right? Here is an ear that is attached to the body saying, wait, I'm not a part of this body. That's funny. I mean, it should make us laugh. It probably made them laugh when they heard that for the first time. That's crazy. That's preposterous. But he's trying to make a point to us. Maybe some of you, you sit in your community group or in church and you go, well, I'm not a good teacher. I don't know how to always answer these questions or know all this biblical knowledge or how to teach it. Well, what do I do? I don't belong here. Well, here's the thing. If all of us were teachers, no one would be listening. We'd just be a bunch of blabbers, and I don't want a bunch of blabbers like me, right? The whole body was an ear. Where would be the sense of smell? If we were all teachers, where would be the sense of learning, of finding out, of the different gifts? How some of us wish we could be like this person or that person. I will tell you, I have this same concern. How I wish I could be like Jason Greenlee. How I could work with my hands. How I could be able to fix things around the house without a problem. And it is hard for me to pick up the phone and call Jason and say, I need some help. I have no idea what I'm doing. If it's basically just a faucet, if it's a simple thing that anyone could be able to fix, I'm like, I, I can't do it. 
and I get frustrated. I didn't get this gift. As much as I try, I'd like to be good at all things. And it's hard for me many times to rely on other people. But I love what God is saying here, especially verse 18. But as it is, this is how he structured it. This is how he's made it. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Have you ever thought the very nature of God is relationship and reliance upon each other? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That this three in one is different members in one. They rely upon each other. It's the very nature of God. You think about the the incarnation and Jesus walking on earth and his reliance he needed upon the Father in taking on human form. See, the very nature of God is reliance. How should we think that we can live without reliance? But we try so hard. I want to think I, I have it all or I can do it all. But the way that God has set it up, again, how verse 18, this is the way he chose it. He did it so we could have greater appreciation of each other. We have a greater appreciation of our own gifts. And also that we would rely not just on ourselves, but others. And that might point us ultimately to the reliance that we have upon God. I love what Martin Luther says about this. If someone else does not have the gifts I have, then he has others. If I exalt my gifts and despise another's, that is pride. You know, last week, uh, I was looking forward to walking down this street into Lawrence Chapel and hearing Mark Dupere conduct Mendelssohn's Elijah. And if you've ever seen uh, the Lawrence Orchestra, you realize how beautiful they are. And you see Mark and what he does, you realize how beautiful it is. But what makes Mark, a member of our church, so talented is not just what he does, it's the orchestra playing together. Everyone has their part. If we went to an orchestra concert and all it was was Mark waving that baton and there was no orchestra, that might be entertaining for a little while. And he does some pretty fun things with that baton. But it would be pretty boring if we were there for an hour or two hours or however long the concert is. See, the beauty of an orchestra isn't the conductor simply. It's that each one does its part. The flute, the bassoon, the French horn, even the triangle, they have their part. And that is what makes it beautiful. You know, I've tried to put my finger on what makes this whole thing uncomfortable. This service, right? Yes, it's me talking to a camera. That is weird. Sitting in a shoe shop. I mean, I love Perry and Jill's shoe shop, but that's a little weird too as I'm looking at shoes everywhere too as I'm, I'm trying to teach you all. 
you know, those things are weird, but I, I think it's been something deeper in me that I've been trying to pinpoint. I think this is it. The church is not David and Adrian and I doing this video. See, the church is the body together, interconnected in flesh. It is incarnational. It is person together. Sure, there are many positive things from this quarantine when it comes to the church. Many people that have not been able to check out churches before have been able to do that. And some of you maybe have never seen Emmaus Road in our services, and I'm glad you're here. But I hope it doesn't stop there. You see, if it stops there, it's just going to turn people into participants that are interested or disinterested based on how well David or myself or Adrian perform on this camera where we can spin as many plates as we can, we can be as entertaining as possible. That's what will keep your interest. Any church that bases its life on the performance on Sunday morning and who takes the stage or any church that bases it on the pastor wielding as many gifts as possible will flounder. Many pastors have burned out or worse, have fallen away from ministry because they think they can take on all the gifts. So I encourage some of you not to simply be viewers or participants, but when this is over, you will come and you will see you can be members of the body, that you can be a part of the church. And maybe if you are miles away, not even close to Appleton, Wisconsin, you will find a local church and you will do that for them. You know, one thing I love about Emmaus Road, it's not just 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. We do a great job of having many, many people participating. Have we got it perfect? No. Are we working on it? Yes. And it's sometimes the hindrance our job as elders and deacons and leaders in equipping and directing, yes, many times that is the problem. But I think the majority of the time the problem is us individually. That we feel insecure. We ask, where do we fit? We're jealous of other people's gifts. And we do not cling to what God's word says, that God has given us each a gift. Earlier in chapter 12, it says that each one has the Spirit. Each one has been given a gift. Well, Paul elaborates on this idea in verses 21 through 26. Some are prideful of their gifts, and they need to see that others are important in the life of the body. And those that feel insignificant in the church need to see they are crucial to the church's health. And again, he does this through body analogy. He says, the eye cannot say the hand, I have no need for you. I mean, the eye cannot grab something. Sometimes I wish with my eye 
in my looking at something, something would move towards me, especially when I'm watching TV and I don't want to get up. I am amazed how Aaron's mom eye sure can make my kids' hands move fast uh, when she gives the glare. But I don't have that power as much as Aaron does. But seriously, we do not have power through our eye to grasp things. In the same way, we don't have power through our head to be able to basically walk and move. We need our feet to move. I don't see many people bouncing from place to place on their head to get from point A to point B. And that is the point he's making. The point is that we need other people to be able to be this church. The truth is, maybe this is a shock to some of you, Paul did not come up with this analogy by himself. This was actually an analogy used in, in Roman culture and in Roman philosophy. But Paul does do something unique that the Roman culture does not. And he points out something that makes Christianity different than the culture at large. And you can see it here in this verse. Verse 22 on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You see, in Roman culture, they use this analogy of the body to maybe drum up the pain of the regular person, the weaker person, to get them to go along with the crowd. You know, don't you see? We need you. Come on and do it. No, Christianity says the weaker parts are indispensable. See, many of us were focused on our eyelashes, right? How our triceps look, our delts, are they formed, you know? When's the last time you said to someone, check out my lungs? Have you seen my kidney? See, these organs we can't see, but they are critical. How much more have we seen that now in the time of coronavirus? How critical our lungs are. We can survive without toes or maybe even feet or a leg or an arm, but we can't survive without our lungs. And then he also talks about, you know, those parts that are vulnerable, that are sensitive. And then he talks about these parts that are private, that we protect them with clothing. Sometimes when we play sports, we check them with gear. Sometimes when a ball gets too close to us, we protect it with our hands. Right? They might not be seen, but we protect them and they are valuable. They might be fragile, but we protect them and they are important. See, Scripture is making the point that people in the church might not get the attention, might not be in front might be fragile. And it's not that they're not valuable. In fact, they are indispensable. Well, these past three weeks, we have been captured as a nation. Captured by the Last Dance documentary, right? That's at least that's what I've been captured by. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is on ESPN. It's a documentary about the 1996-1997 Bulls sixth championship run. In fact, Denise Rungi and I, talking thousands of miles away while she's in Kenya, we talked about The Last Dance this week. She's been watching it and loving it. And the episode this last week talked about this very 
I would call fragile on the inside, unique character, Dennis Rodman. And what I found very interesting about the episode is talk about the person that tried to take all the gifts on the basketball court, Michael Jordan, that realized the Bulls would not win without Dennis Rodman's unique gifts. And what I found so intriguing is that this very one man show kind of person, if you're not on the bandwagon, you're off kind of person, Michael Jordan, for the sake of the team, appreciated Rodman's diversity, not just on the court, but off the court. And for Jordan to come outside of himself to understand that this man was made differently and I need to appreciate him is what I need to make this team great. There are people in our church that might never be in front, that you might never hear from. But if they were gone, it would be like the church trying to function without a major organ. These people pray. They give counsel to others. They give financially. They are critical in the life of the church. They might not be seen, but they are critically important, indispensable. You might be one of those people. Let me encourage you in your being indispensable. But then we get to this harder one, and I'm going to postulate what I think Paul is trying to communicate, these unpresentable parts. These are parts that we protect and cover up. I think these are people in the church that are sensitive, that have real struggles, that we need to protect. They might be more fragile. But they too are indispensable to our church. They bring richness. Why? They teach us about the nature of Christ in his sufferings. When we relate to them, when we see them, we see how much they rely upon God in what has been dealt to them in life. And also teaches how to love well, how to be patient. You see, these kind of people in the church, maybe it's you in the church, that you may feel, I have nothing. I have been dealt such a hard hand. I, I'm just, I just struggle to even get up sometimes that maybe you embody more the cross than we even realize. The cross isn't just seeking honor, but it's showing in weakness there is victory. So for those who might be more visible, see what Paul is saying. These people are indispensable. And that the message of Christianity is victory in weakness. So when you might look at others in the church and you say, get your act together. Why don't you step up? When are you going to um, do this or that? We might not realize they are the praying lungs of the church. And for those of you who feel fragile and you've been dealt a life of pain and you might say, what do I have to give? 
you are indispensable to the life of the church. You remind us of our, all of our needs, reliance upon Christ. And it is there that we receive life as a church. You know, as we grow as a church, I know we can't have relationships with everyone. But we can't have appreciation for everyone in the church and their gifts. We can't have relationships with some Maybe people that are different than us, and we should. And then what we should do is encourage them in their gifts and draw them out and appreciate them in what God has given them. When I pastored in Colorado three times a week, I worked out with a guy. He had a lot of hardship. He's a member of our church. He rubbed people the wrong way in the church and people just did not understand him. But in spending time with him, I learned to appreciate him in his quietness, in his pain, in his anger, and his reliance upon God uplifted me. I love what this passage says here at the end. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, here's what happened. When this man suffered, when his marriage fell apart, I grieved with him. And I was able to communicate to the church how to grieve with him. And then we rejoiced when he got remarried and with the birth of his son. You know, I didn't realize sometimes in getting together how much he was a valuable organ for the church. It's funny, when I came here and tried to raise money to plant this church and I asked a lot of people for money in Colorado, I didn't ask him for money. But this individual actually gave almost more money than anyone else in starting this church plant in Appleton, Wisconsin. You see, we might not see some people, you might be the hands or the face or the nose or the eyes or the ears, but you might be these vital organs inside. We are all indispensable. Church, I long. I long for the time that we can see each other again in the flesh. And I can look at you in the eye and look at you out in the congregation and say, the reason I was so hard right now is because I realized how indispensable you are. That is what makes the church so beautiful. That's what makes us the body of Christ.